This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletics Center. Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com as the Cougs fall to the Oregon Ducks in the Pac-12 tournament. And we are here with you to soothe your hurt feelings after that mm-hmm. loss. A big show coming up uh, in the amount of time that we have. We have John Morosi coming up at the bottom of the hour at 530. So we're going to flip the clock a little bit uh, and do a long segment with him coming up at 530. It is Thursday, which means we will be speaking with John Schneider. It will happen at 6 o'clock tonight as opposed to 4 o'clock when it normally happens because of Cook basketball today. But we will replay the conversation tomorrow at 3, just as a heads up for people out there that may not have the time or that may mess with people's schedules, Dave. Often they could be in the car or they're at work and they're listening, and now they're at home and they're like, well, I don't have a radio. You, You know what comes into play there? The phone app. You get the app. Okay. Yeah, subscribe, subscribe. Yeah, that's right. We go. I was all over that. <laughs> yeah, too bad Cougs going down seventy to seventy three. But uh, yeah. they were the hot team, man. They were like had won seven in a row coming into this game. So yeah, too bad. Yeah, they, so they they go down there and uh, and uh, we'll 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 move on from that. Talk some Seahawks. Talk some baseball with John Morosi at five thirty. But the big news: Geno signs his contract, and he was speaking. With the, with the masses today, he was out there at a press conference speaking to the media and some interesting things to say, you know, the, the whole process seemed to go pretty smoothly. And, you know, he was asked about whether he wanted to test the free agent market. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I wanted to stay here. I was hoping we can get something done quickly. I didn't want to have to, you know, test the free agent market. Um, you know, obviously, if I had to, then I had to. But uh, I, I think we everyone did a great job at, um, at making this work. And uh, now it's about, you know, having it pay off in the future. Does that surprise you at all? If, if you're, I'm trying to just think from an agent's perspective. If I'm his agent, I don't even know who his agent is, but I'm wondering. We were talking about sort of the lack of buzz out there, whispers about him. I wonder if they felt like maybe the market was a little soft for him, perhaps, and like his best deal was going to come from here. So let's let's not go out there because maybe I'm, I'm just looking at it. You know, devil's advocate. Maybe they're thinking, man, we go out there, somebody's going to offer us twenty a year or, yeah. or less than what we are asking for here that could hurt our case you know if we go out there and show we can't we can't top what you're offering in seattle that kind of weakens their their position yeah and i think it's we're running john at six o'clock today yeah Um, he he talks about his agent and you know how they got that whole thing done but yeah i'm he said i don't want to test the the free agent market and i i felt like didn't you kind of get like a feel for it a little bit, you know, but uh, maybe not. So yeah, it's interesting because that's that's kind of what I thought at the end of the year. I was surprised sitting. Um, I guess I shouldn't have been, but um, surprised I'm, you I'm think surprised that? that I think that. Bob. <laughs> no, but uh, I guess I, I shouldn't have been. But, you know, Gino got fairly emotional about the team about mm-hmm. the Seahawks and the franchise and the opportunities that they gave to him. And, you know, and he talked about wanting to work something out and stay here. So, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Some of the things you hear from Gino, and that's why you can't really go off of what, you know, what was said on Twitter or whatever, any, mm-hmm. anything like that. And I do think that the conversation that John and Pete, those conversations that, he, that they were having really helped out 
yeah. you know, the whole making it smooth and it not being ugly. And then, cause that's the other thing, you know, you get into a com, you know, contract negotiation and then it gets heated. And then, you know, next thing you know, somebody says something that they can't take back or, you know, it, get, it gets, you know, it gets heated. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, go get them. You know, yeah, that was, you know, that was kind of the thing, um, you know, when I was, and he, he didn't go through my agent. It was Mike Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Mike Shanahan was the head coach, but he was also trying to be the GM. Yeah. And uh, that just doesn't work because you're like, okay, I'm going to give you a 75% pay cut now. Hey, go get him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's run through that wall for go, me. Yeah, exactly. Go play hard. So that's why, that's why I have a hard time relating. And I, I give respect to players who can be their own agents. It makes perfect sense financially speaking. Yeah. But man, you got to hear some things you probably don't mm-hmm. want to hear. I mean, that that's their job as an organization to say, oh, you want X, you want 10 million more. I have to tell you why you're not worth 10 million more. You don't do this. You didn't do this. You did. They're not singing your praises in this particular moment. It's going to be, right. it'd be hard not to take that personally to yeah. have, have your GM sitting there going, Dave, we love you here, but man, we can't rely on you. You get hurt too much, or you, you really have a hard time with the screen game. Whatever it is they're saying to make their case, yeah. and you're supposed to just take that in as strictly business. And this isn't hurting my feelings, and I'm not going to take it personally. That's a that's a pretty unique person that can go through that and still come back and be excited to play for these guys and not have it impact their relationship at all. Yeah, maybe it just it never got there, you know. And I I guess there's a way to do that to tell somebody. Uh, well, I think I think you can improve a little bit in this area, and you know maybe if that happened, then we could. I don't know. It, it's uh, yeah. I think it also you get pretty heated. I mean, these are emotional guys that yeah. you know playing football is is all about that, and I think you know John and Pete are obviously very emotionally involved in it, but uh, I think they do a really good job of, and that's the reason why like a guy like Bobby Wagner is coming, you know, is maybe back in the fold here. Yeah, yeah. Just a little preview. We. You got some pretty interesting remarks from John as it relates to Bobby Wagner. So you'll definitely yeah. want to tune into that. Um, one one thing before we get to the next Chino cut that that stood out to me is uh, you know we talked about it before just that they kept the dialogue going. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. That Huge they, deal. And he he addresses that in the conversation. I thought and it makes perfect sense. So some really really good stuff from John today. Again, that conversation coming up at six o'clock. Uh, the other the other comment from G, Gino that I thought was interesting. He was asked about the Seahawks drafting a quarterback. How? What would his reaction to that be? Here's what he said. I'll say it's both. You know, uh, I, I love to compete, so I, I compete with anybody. But um, I'm also going to, you know, help him out as much as I can, the same as, you know, we did with Drew. And, and, and our QB room is so tight-knit, and we're all so connected that we, we act as one. And so whether it's a young guy or someone else, I'm going to help that player, just like any other player on our team, be the best that he can be, you know, because that's my job as a leader, and that's who I am at heart. You know, I'm never going to withhold information. I'm always going to try and help guys get better. And so that's what I want to do, and if that happens, then that's the guy I'll be. That's the opposite of Paul Moyer and others out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I'm, to tease Paul about that. Well, but it is opposite because we've heard about it with Brett Favre. We heard about it with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, who was it? Was it Flacco or somebody that came out and said something? Somebody saying basically, hey, man, it's not my job to do that. And yeah, I remember that. I can't, can't I remember who that it, was. I thought it might, somebody can, can uh, tell us on the text. I thought it might have been Flacco, but I, I could be wrong on that. But just that, I think that's a, a really evolved, mature thing to say, a position yeah. to take, because it is threatening. Hey, if they, if hypothetically, number five pick, they select whatever quarterback's available, just hypothetically. It tells you that 
they're looking at that kid as their future. You're not mm-hmm. spending a fifth overall pick on a player that's not expected to be something big within your organization. That's the expectation. Yeah. So that person is technically coming for your job. And you're saying, hey, I'm competing, which I love. And then, but I'm also going to help. I'm not going to withhold information. I'm going to help. We're all one in there. I, that's a that's a, a fantastic comment. Yeah. Well, and by the way, Mac and Jack's uh, brewing uh, company text line, 866-979-3776. Yeah, I remember a quarterback who, who said something similar to that, too. I thought it was Flacco. But Moyer was just joking, by the way. Yeah. Moyer was like, yeah, if guys have backup safety and I'm playing safety, I'm going to tell them, yeah, the – the chow hall's down that way. Her meeting's been canceled going, today. Going Don't bother showing yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, did you hear practice got canceled? Yeah, go home. Don't bother showing up. Yeah. Get your nap in. But, yeah, I think, you know, we, you know, I really would like to talk to Drew Locke. It seemed like he was really supportive of Gino mm-hmm. as well. I mean, so Gino says, yeah, we got a real tight room there. I mean, now Dave Canales not going to be in there. But still, I, I feel like, uh, you know, with Pete and everything that they – They've really sort of uh, generated a, a lot of culture in that in that room. All right, coming up, Gino also uh, sat down with Bump and Stacy after the press conference. A couple things he said that stood out from that conversation. We'll let you hear that coming up with Wyman and Bob live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Got a lot of texts in, Dave, telling me it was Ryan Tannehill talking about Malik Willis. Oh, I thought I, it was. I, I thought it was Flacco, but maybe it. Thought it was it, further in the past than that. Yeah, well, it was. Brett Favre was that guy, and I think Aaron Rodgers was that guy to an extent with Jordan Love. And yeah, but I thought it was somebody like maybe five, six, seven years ago. Anyway. Yeah. So a lot of people saying Tannehill. Not not excited about uh, mentoring Malik Willis. So, all right, there you go. Always count on the texters to come through. 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Our conversation with uh, Seahawks GM John Schneider will happen at 6 o'clock tonight, for those of you tuned in, and it'll uh, replay tomorrow at 3. I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to hear it. Some very, very interesting news in there that I think people will, will definitely cling to, so stay yeah. tuned for that. And then uh, also... Tomorrow being Friday, we've been doing the Seahawks alumni series, as we've we've dubbed it. We had a great conversation with Brian Bosworth last week. Man, that was that was really good. If you miss that one, that that's on the podcast page as well. Some uh, very introspective stuff from him that we didn't really expect, but uh, a lot of people enjoyed that conversation. But tomorrow, the legend that is Steve Largent will join us on the program at, uh, what did we say, 4.30? Is that what we settled 4:30, on? 4.30, yeah. <laughs> we were going back and forth. I can't remember where we landed. But 4.30, uh, Steve Largent, the greatest receiver in the history of this organization as we sit right now, will join us. Yeah, just Yoda, one of the greatest yeah. all time. I mean, he, he was uh, he was just such a great teammate and such a nice guy, still is. So, And we found out the reason why he can't be on at 4, which is usual uh, when usually when we do that, is he's playing tennis. And so I'm like, that does my heart good. That means he's up and running around then. Yeah. He's He's not talking about, you know, hips and knees and Sitting in a recliner, eating a bag of chips. No, he's he's out there getting it done. So, yeah, the the great Steve Largent will join us tomorrow at 4.30. Make sure you tune in for that. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, John Morosi will join us coming up at 5.30. Uh, Geno Smith met with the press today to make the signing official, the extension official, and then he jumped on with Bump and Stacy after that and and talked about a few different things that stood out. This one, he talked about, you know, really 
gaining a lot of confidence after Russell got hurt. He he got thrown into the deep end, you know, with an injury, and that's where his confidence really started to grow. I remember that night, that Thursday night, and when Russ got hurt, and and to be honest, he didn't want to come out that game. You know, he he kept going back in, and I kind of had to tell him like, hey man, it's it's kind of my time. You know, I, I got to go out here right now. You know, I kind of felt it in my spirit just the entire year that, you know, something was going to happen. And so when I got that opportunity, I just wanted to go out there and, and play ball, you know, just have having an opportunity to play with these guys and, and be out there competing with my teammates is something that I truly enjoy. But, you know, I had done well in preseasons before. Uh, that gave me confidence. And then obviously, you know, playing a three-game stretch, you know, we were one and two and, and winning is what matters the most. But, I felt good out there, and so I knew that, you know, I could improve and get better. I love that he said that, you know, that my the real stat was one and two, and, you know, we yeah. he obviously wanted to win. and But, yeah, he came out, and really, I think it was maybe, I think he came in for a play or two right after Russ got hurt. But then the next drive, he took him on like an 85-yard touchdown drive where he had a couple of really uh, nice throws and and this is courtesy of uh brandon son of augustifson because he's given me these numbers like 12 times and i keep losing them so i wrote him <laughs> down projection. on a word, word document <laughs> but but no in t- 2021 in four games he was 68.4 percent 702 yards five touchdowns one interception he was sacked 13 times, but, you know, his passer rating was 103. So, yeah, and that, you know, projected out to be something that wasn't as good as actually in, in a lot of areas because he threw for right around 4,000, was it, this year? Over 4,000. Yeah, and uh, the projection was 2984. He had 21 touchdowns, and I know he threw 30. And then he had 11 picks, and this projected four. So that was a little bit a little bit better. But it pro- projected out to 55 sacks, and I think he took 46. And we talked to Brock about that the other day, and he said, you know, some of those are – yeah, and that's always the case. It's true of every quarterback. Some of those you look Some at him go, on him. dude, you got to throw the ball. He's, Get rid of it. He's got a habit, and I brought this up to you, some of his sacks where he just kind of runs straight backwards. Mm-hmm. He'll kind of backpedal, backpedal, and then he gets tackled. So that, you know, he's not he's not the shifty guy that's going to fake somebody out of their jock. Yeah, That's not his game. It's just not what he does. Yeah, so, I don't think he's a great scrambler. No, so by any case. It, it, with somebody like you know Mahomes or Russell or any of those guys or Kyler Murray, they're gonna they're gonna take sacks that you're sitting there going oh dude throw it away but I also understand their mentality a bit that because they can kind of juke and jive and get you know guys off balance and maybe turn it into something they're gonna be more pro they've got that faith in their ability cost of doing business yeah with Gino it's like you gotta I guess I would say know your limitations there that would be the one yeah. area and I think I think Brock is right that some of those you're like oh boy that's you're just running straight back, and you're yeah. just—it would have been a you know maybe a four-yard loss, and now it's a—it's an eleven-yard loss or something. So, you know, we're nitpicking what was ultimately a great season, but yeah, I think I think there's truth to that. Now we, we've talked. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say real quick. One of the things he he excelled at, though, I thought was delivering the pass under distress pressure standing in the pocket and getting hit yeah and actually you know being able to follow through and you know not let the you know all the the noise around him affect his throws uh one more from him just talking about what he learned from sitting behind guys like russell and eli and philip rivers you know i was privileged to to be able to be in rooms with three hall of famers and the thing that i learned is that you know i'm one of them you know, I was able to uh, play alongside some great players and, you know, I never felt like they did things that I couldn't do. 
And mm-hmm. so that allowed me to have confidence in myself throughout this entire time. And I also would lend any knowledge that I had. You know, I would be a sponge as well as, you know, trying to, I would learn, but I would also try and help those guys and help them see the game the way that I did. And, and maybe, you know, some of the, those things would uh, would help them and help their game. And so just being a consummate professional, being a great teammate, just lending, you know, every bit of confidence that I have and, and giving it to the starter allowed me to, once I became a starter, just, you know, kind of go out there and just play freely. Yeah, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword for him because he's he's behind three guys who all three are potential Hall of Famers. I don't really know where Rivers ranks in the all-time category, but you know, there's a lot to learn from those guys. There's a lot of success amongst those three. But the other side of that, the talking double-edged, those are three durable guys. Those are guys that don't miss a lot of time. Yeah. Especially with Russ and Eli had that whole streak going and, you know, and then he got benched and Gino got thrown in there and that was a whole cluster out there. And yeah, Russ, he's talking about Russ didn't even want to come out of that game where he had an injury that needed surgery. So yeah, we talk about what took so long. Well, you're behind three pretty durable guys that don't miss time. Well, and that's the thing, you know, we'll talk to John Schneider about this and his feelings about the XFL, but um, you know, as a as a backup quarterback, again, I can't emphasize this enough. You just don't get reps, mm-hmm. and so that that's the thing, you know, for him sitting as a backup. And I've said this before, I feel like that's one of the tougher positions to play in the NFL, uh, especially if you're called upon. Yeah, <laughs> like like he was. Like I don't even know what his mindset was in 2021 when Russell's finger goes the wrong direction, and you know, it's like oh. Man, here we go. You yeah. know, hop in there and you got to get it done and pick things up right where they left off. And he did a good job with that. All right, coming up, he's been all over the world ba- baseball classic, and it's uh, it's an exciting time for him, an exciting time for baseball. And uh, John Morosi joining us to talk all about that and what's happening in spring training. That's coming your way next as we continue live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. JP has been scouring. Sorry, Bob. (laughs) He's been scouring the country telling everyone there's this old curmudgeon in Seattle that actually doesn't like that the baseball games. (laughs) This guy wants to wait longer. Oh, my goodness. That was one of the greatest lines ever, and it happened in last week's uh, conversation with this man who's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is our MLB and NHL analyst, John Morosi, is with us. How are you, man? I'm doing great, guys. See, Dave, I promise you I I wasn't going to bring it up, but then Bob did. (laughs) So what do I do? I, I, that, no, I, I brought it up. I brought it up. Yeah, he okay, brought it man. up, but okay. that was one of the great lines ever where you said something along the lines of, I've never left a stadium and heard somebody say, you know, if only we could have had more waiting in the game. <laughs> <laughs> that was well done. And, yeah, JP, was... you weren't even trying to be a wise guy. You weren't trying to be a wise guy at all. You just It just came out. It was great. I appreciate that. I, I was I was trying to be very thoughtful. And, and put myself in the shoes of the fan and think, what what do I want more of? And I've never wanted more waiting. So there, there you have it. <laughs> and, and by the way, as, I, I'll tell you this. I'm actually uh, coming to you live uh, here from Mullet Arena, Tempe, Arizona, on the campus of Arizona State. Uh, we've got uh, I, what I would describe as this is really and truly the, the all-morosi day because I spent my morning and afternoon with Team USA at the World Baseball Classic. Then I came over here, got a great tour of this new uh, on-campus 
Hockey Arena for Arizona State and the Arizona Coyotes. I get a chance to watch an NHL game tonight, and I get a chance to talk to you guys while I'm here. So it really, it's like, it's like the holy trinity of the things I like the most. The Baseball, thing hockey, and talking, and talking to you guys. The only thing we're missing is Italian soccer. That's that would make it all complete, right? That'll be right. That'll be that'll be next time. Although although the Italians did win in the World <laughs> Baseball Classic, they defeated Cuba last, oh. earlier this morning at, at like approximately the game started at, at I believe four a.m. and I, I know Bob uh, four a.m. Pacific time. I know Bob was up uh, watching that one. Well, I was probably going to bed at that time, so I yeah. <laughs> caught, caught a little bit before I went to sleep. But well, I think that's pretty sweet that uh, we're part of your perfect day, JP. Thank you. You guys are, man. I'm telling you, this is uh, well, and, and you, th- this show and our conversations have, have allowed me to often unify baseball and hockey together. So how fitting that I'm uh, <laughs> speaking to you live from an NHL game. I love it. So you you had made a comment about the uh, the Dominican team. And talking about that, I think specifically their their infield. Correct? You were talking about maybe the, in terms of the the collective talent, maybe the greatest infield ever. Was that? Uh, do I have that right? Yes, that that's exactly what I had said, and, and I still believe that they they probably are. Justin, good to see you. Mike, I am a big hockey guy. Mike, great seeing you. Thanks. Uh, uh, Coyote, Coyote. Thank you. So I, I will, I'll tell you that uh, I typically I would not have wanted to uh, interrupt our conversation. But that was Mike Trout. Just walked right by me here, so oh. so we had to, had to say hello to him. So tell so him we go. said hi. He's, uh, <laughs> I certainly <laughs> will. I, I will. So I'll send him your best regards. He is he is Captain America. So you have to. So for me, we have to remember that. I realize he's he's uh, he's not always someone that Mariner fans cheer for. But for the, these two weeks, you do because he's our captain. So there you go. So yes. So uh, can you please repeat the question? Because I was kind of flummoxed by seeing Mike Trout right in front of me. So, uh, we were ahead. talking about the, the talent that you had talked about that was assembled for the infield of, of yes. the Dominican the, the team, Dominican, maybe the greatest yes. ever. Yes. And, and well, so because they're going without Vlad Jr., Vlad. right? Right, right. So I, I may have to amend that a little bit. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's still one of the best, one of the best. Uh, now, they'll probably they could have Rafael Devers over at first. And he is a potential future Hall of Fame uh, infielder. So you might see Devers over at first, and then Willie Adamas, Gene Segura, Wander Franco at second, with Jeremy Pena at short, Manny Machado at third. If you've got Machado at third, Pena at short, Wander Franco at second, and Devers at first, that's still pretty good. And and of course uh, Nelson Cruz, Nelson Cruz is the is the GM and also a, a bat off the bench, which is interesting. And, and then you've got Julio in center field. Juan Soto's status for the tournament is somewhat uh, TBD. He was uh, somewhat curiously still in Phoenix last night, even though his team is supposed to be in Florida. So I'm, I'm still not exactly sure what Juan will be doing. But uh, I, I am so, I'm still believing that, that the Dominican Republic could find a way to get it to the semifinals. But based on what I've seen from the U.S. the last couple of days, I have to amend my, my final four and say I think the U.S. finds a way to get into the final four uh, with Venezuela, uh, the other North American or South American entrant joining them there. JP, uh, what has stood out to you since the last time we talked to you? Um, watching the Mariners, um, Bob was uh, talking earlier about Marco having a good uh, having a good outing. Uh, Chris Flexen's doing really well. What, is it pitching? Is there anything uh, defensively, uh, bats that, that you've uh, seen in the last week that has impressed you? For me, it, it is that pitching. And I think if, if the back end of that rotation ends up 
being solid, uh, especially you think early on this season, you, you maybe want to have a little bit of extra time and, and, and give a little extra rest to your key starting pitchers. And so the Mariners are a team that really and truly have that capability of, of going to a five plus man rotation at different times. They could still certainly have uh, Flexen uh, as a long man or Marco as a long man. But the point is it gives Scott Service a lot of options. And when you look at this, this rotation overall, for the most part, they'll have their guys with them in camp. And, and, and obviously, I'm, I'm as strong of a supporter of the World Baseball Classic as there is. But I also realize that from a pitching standpoint, a lot of teams like having their guys in camp. And I, I think the Mariners will probably benefit from a lot of their, their key starting pitchers being there and being on tempo. And then uh, certainly you know, some of the relievers on the way, Matt Brash, I believe, is going to be Canada's closer, which is a big assignment for him. But I, And Julio, obviously, with the Dominicans, and Suarez as well with Venezuela. But I think in general, having your core of pitching there and sort of under your purview and able to bring them along, I think plays into the Mariners' favor. And so when you see those, those fifth and sixth starters pitching well, it just gives you a, an abundance of options to get through the long season, which the Mariners, as we know, hope for them last seven months long. I want to bring you back to the WBC for a moment. Do you think MLB has done a good job of promoting it, like uh, keeping fans in tune as to where they can watch the games, when the games are happening? Because that feels like unless you're watching MLB Network, you're not get it's not that readily available i don't i don't know that it's i feel like they could have done more to really promote this where, where do you feel about that so so here's uh, here's what i'll say I, I i do think that anytime and even the commissioners talked about this in the past anytime that you are asking your fans just like we see with the postseason uh to to know which network the game is on when it's not all in the same network there is uh, at at times some little information disruptions, if you will, you think about the playoffs for a long time. It used to be on MLB network, Fox broadcast, FS one, TBS, ESPN at times. There's a lot of networks there to keep track of it. And in this case, uh, some of the games are on Fox broadcast, some are on FS one, some are on FS two. When the Italians, the aforementioned win uh, this morning over Cuba, that game was on, Tubi, which I, I found and was able to download very easily. So I, I, I will rate very favorably my experience with Tubi. I thought it went, went pretty well, actually. So it, it, it does require a little bit of homework. But at the end of the day, when, when MLB went through this, this rights phase of, of where the, the broadcast was going to go, they realized that they wanted to have the finals on, on terrestrial television. They wanted to have games on Big Fox just like NFL games in the World Series are, and they wanted games on FS1. So uh, that's how it ended up uh, going. And certainly we are here in the MLB network capacity working on the world feed, so you will still see our broadcast and hear our broadcast in different times based on the games that Fox is not doing. But all of those broadcasts are available on FS1 through the Fox family of networks. That, that is how it's going to be. I, I understand your point, and obviously we loved it last time around. It was all on MLB Network, but certainly a uh, thrill for our colleagues at Fox that are going to have a chance of broadcasting this time around. Hey, let, let me ask you about a game last night because I, I tuned in like right in the middle of a conversation that the broadcasters were having about a kid who was on the mound. They were playing the Giants, Team USA playing the Giants and there was a kid pitching who had no number on his jersey or name. So I I don't know who he was, but they they seemed to be making a big deal of it. Was he a member of the Giants that was was pitching for Team USA against the Giants, or what was this? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
That is exactly right. Yes. So I was there. I can tell you exactly who that was. That was Evan Gates. Evan okay. Gates. He's a, a young a young prospect in the organization uh, of the San Francisco Giants. And so what happens is uh, for these games, because Team USA obviously is under fairly strict regulations about wh- how much they can use pitchers at different times, they have to adhere to what the organization says. So if they say, we don't want you going above 45 pitches with, with Miles Michaelis, which, which is what the case was, they, they said, okay, you've got to basically stop at 45. And, and they wanted to allow the next reliever to enter with a clean inning. So how do you do that? Uh, you bring in Evan Gates, uh, who's there in the bullpen, basically in the in-case-of-emergency option, and he comes in and, and cleans up the inning. And I thought he did okay. You know, he gave him a few hits, but uh, he looked like he belonged out there. And it was interesting because the, the, the U.S. players, and you're probably describing this part of it, Bob, like Nolan Arenado and Trey Turner and Jeff McNeil and Paul Goldschmidt, they were kind of just standing on the, the back part of the mound smiling a bit because they had never met this guy before in their lives. And here he was on the mound with a USA uniform on. And so it was kind of funny. He, he has, he has not been added to the roster. I'll be clear about that, but it was, I hope, I, I hope young Evan Gates can keep that uniform. I hope he can bring it home with him. But he's a member of the giants. He was pitching against his team. Yeah. Okay. He was pitching just, against the Giants, and, and that and that is, to be honest, common practice. Like, like I've uh, I've covered a number of these WBC uh, lead-ins. Now it's my third tournament that I've covered, and they always Team USA always borrows additional players to make sure that they're not having their main guys go and play nine innings when they're only ready for six. So it's that, that's how they do it. It's, it's all in the matter of, uh, as we say, load management, and and that was uh, what the case was last night. So it's pretty cool though. Some some Giants prospects get a chance to play in the same team as Mike Trout. And then the next night, the next day here, the Angels prospects, it was the same thing, playing against Mike Trout. And by the way, there was only one scary moment when Tyler Anderson nearly nearly came through with a high and tight pitch on his teammate Mike Trout, which <laughs> for which I'm sure he would have been fined significantly by his own organization. He, he might he might have been the only pitcher in history to be descended upon by both teams in a benches-clearing brawl had Mike Trout been hit in that moment. Uh. <laughs> hey, uh, have you been paying well obviously you've been paying attention i'm just curious as far as the al west goes and i'll, I'll just keep it specific the astros because you know we were talking about you know if uh, certain guys can get their averages up and are they going to start to you know maybe approach the the kind of lineup that uh, that the houston astros have but please tell us that they really suck in spring ball <laughs> and that they have injuries and things like that what do you think jp well, so uh, they've actually had some issues with Jordan Alvarez not being not being fully healthy yet. And, and obviously, Jordan dealt with some hand issues late last season. Uh, obviously, we still see he had some success in the playoffs. But um, I, I think that that might be the one thing I'm a little bit worried about. Like, like if Jordan's hand is still a problem, and if it's a problem at the start of the season, that that is ominous. I, I, and again, I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I've not examined Jordan's hand, but what I do know in my career covering baseball is that when, when power hitters have hand and wrist issues, that's like a, that's a big deal. Usually it just, it just, it makes me worried, I guess, for him. So what that means for the Astros, obviously Altuve is playing great right now. He's he's playing for Venezuela and looks like he's ready to go. Uh, Bregman, I think for me, Bregman is the guy to watch. If they can handle uh, they can handle maybe Jordan being in and out because they've done that before. But if he is is at all diminished, they really need Bregman 
You know, Tucker, I thought I've been watching him, obviously, with Team USA. He looks really good, really good at-bats against lefties and righties. But he's, he's a pro. He's a 30-homer guy in his prime. Their pitching is still really good. But I, I do think their, their run scoring, you know, they, they were like an A-level offense for me last year. They might be down a little bit this year. Just, they're just not quite the same level for me. And so, uh, especially if Jordan compromised a little bit early on, that would give me a little bit of a concern and, and I think puts even more focus on, on Alex Bregman to have a huge all-star level season again. Hey, by the way, when it comes to Jordan, I, I can't help think of, you know, years past, John, where we've looked at different players, whether it was, uh, uh, I don't know, Julio Franco or somebody like that, where they'd go, yeah, his age is listed at this, but he's thought to really be this age. And that was kind of common practice, and you don't hear about it much. But I look at Jordan Alvarez, and I look at his face, I'm going, there's no way that guy's 25 years old, man. Come on. Do, do you see? Do you, I don't know. Do you, I, I have I have been given I have been given no reason no reason to doubt that I have been given no reason to doubt that myself. And what I would say about Julio is Julio played until he was I believe you got to check this. I think he played forty nine right forty eight forty eight okay. I think he and we have to we're going to have to Mike Lefko probably has this information handy. Who played until <laughs> who between Jamie Moyer and Julio Franco? played a baseball game at an older age. That is that is like the trivia yeah. question of the day. I think they both made it till their late 40s. And I think one was 49, one was 48. And I'll tell you this. I knew there was one time, I can't remember what it was that I wrote. I really can't remember. But I, but I was, the year I covered the Mariners, I was 23, 23, yes, 23. And so I was, I, I was in the Mariner clubhouse and, and Jamie did not like something I had written. And and he said he said, John Paul, can you please come over here? And I was like, Oh man, he used my middle name. I'm really in trouble now. <laughs> but he was of course he was of course as, as professional and gentlemanly as, as ever. But Jamie was great. Like I felt like I was really learning from I was learning from an oracle. I mean, I was talking to Jamie Warrior about pitching and learning about baseball. So I was like I basically said like Yes, sir. I was like as respectful as I could have been. Like Uh oh, I made a mistake. And Jamie's the smartest and wisest person here. I must have really screwed up now. But he was he was great to me. But I remember that distinctly. John Paul, can you come over here? Like Uh oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> was it about his age? Did you say something about him being old? No, <laughs> I think I, I I don't think so. I I think I had I. Maybe I, I messed up a stat or, uh, or maybe, you know, because it was at a time, it was actually at the time when he passed, he passed Randy Johnson as the all-time Mariner franchise wind leader that year. I still remember writing the story. I think I probably still have it at home because it was just a special game. But, uh, but yeah, I remember that. I, maybe it was the day, the, the day in which I compared and contrasted the way Jamie did it with the way that Randy did it, which, of course, was a little different. Yeah. <laughs> a couple different uh, RPMs there. Different approaches. Different approaches. Yeah. Who, who tends to dominate the WBC over the years, JP? Team Japan. They've got two championships. Uh, they've won the gold twice. They've been in the semifinals four times. Uh, I, I'm just a believer that, that Team Japan, because of how frequently they play, and this is kind of my big-picture baseball opinion here, um, I love tournament baseball. I love the urgency of tournament baseball. I love that there's more passion in this than there is really in the regular season because you just have to, you have to really emphasize it for this short burst. And so for me, I, I look at it and say the, the teams that play together often and the teams that play a lot of tournament baseball, Samurai Japan as the national team is known in Japan. They play together at the premier 12, which is sort of the interim off year world championship where major league players don't play. 
the best NPB players do play. They play in the Olympics uh, a, a year and a half ago. They play exhibition series after the season is over against Team Australia or Team Mexico at different times. They play together as a group often. And so they have a certain chemistry and familiarity with each other that Team USA never has and, and at least doesn't have right now. And my one recommendation that I always give to people is that we as a sport need to find a way to schedule more frequent playing when it's a Team USA jersey on the field. Let's play a seven-game series between Team Japan and Team USA. Start it in L.A., finish it at the Tokyo Dome, play it in November, because Team Japan is just better at tournament baseball over the fullness of time than we have been in the U.S. Now, the U.S. beat Japan in the semifinals last time, and it worked out great. They were one swing away from losing, but at least Team USA won, won that one big one. So, for me, it's a process of learning how to play tournament baseball. Team Japan does it well, and you know who else does it well? Team Netherlands. Defense, execution, strike throwing. That's been Team Japan's recipe, and the Dutch have done a really good job of that as well. I saw a comment from uh, Shohei Otani, and by the way, did you see him hit a what a 427 foot home run from his he's on one knee? He's Unreal. On, he's on Reggie, his. He's, he's Reggie Jackson. He's Reggie he's Jackson. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He, he is miraculous, but uh, hit two home runs in that game. It was an exhibition game. But I think I read the comment. I can't remember verbatim, so I'll paraphrase. Basically, he was saying he's not the best player on that team. And I and I didn't see if he pointed to somebody who he thought was. But if it's not him on that team, who is it and how long until they're, they're playing in, in MLB? Well, that's a great question. And so I think what he might be getting at, like let's say this. I, Shohei is being a, a bit modest there. Uh, there there's how oh, are you going to see it? There, there's no one. There's no one like him in in the baseball world in terms of someone that can can do both. But independently, okay, independently, there are there are those who think that in in the full seven months that Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is likely to be posted in the next couple of years might be better than Shohei over six months from a pitching standpoint. There are those who believe that Roki Sasaki, who's also part of the rotation there, is has a more overpowering repertoire than Shohei has. And that's why Team Japan is so scary, because they've got Otani, Darvish, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and Roki Sasaki. That's their big four. And then offensively, we've talked before about Munitaka Murakami. He is a star. He hit 56 home runs last year. So he hit more home runs than Shohei ever hit. And so that's that to me. So independently in one discipline, I, I, I get what, where Shohei is going there, that, that Murakami is a greater slugger than Shohei is. I would agree with that. And Sasaki may have better stuff. But obviously no one does both the way that Shohei does both. Your pronunciation is impeccable. It really is. It's, it's amazing, JP. I practice a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is what I love. Guys, I've been practicing for this tournament for six years since the last one. So uh, I'm, I'm ready, man. I've got, I've got my rosters. I, I, I have to make sure that tomorrow I, I, I've got, I've got uh, my, my number one goal for tomorrow's workout day is I have to make sure that I meet my new favorite player, Damiano Palmigiani. He plays for Canada. He was born to an Italian father in Caracas, Venezuela, and then moved to not far from you in Surrey, British Columbia. That's the guy that I need to meet. I want to hear his story. I can't wait. What's his name again? Damiano Palmigiani. 
Parlamentani. Okay. He's playing for Canada. Parlamentani. And he's <laughs> playing for name? Canada. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of great Italian Canadians. I mean, we've, we've got some awesome names in this tournament. We've got one of the, one of the great ones on Team Cuba, Arisbel Arrue Barrena. And yes, that would be two Goodness. R roles in one last name. I love it. I, I, I envy your. Rui Barrena. I can't yeah. roll my R's. I, uh, I'm envious. <laughs> he's, he's got that down. My goodness. Yeah, Bob can't practice. even speak Spanish. <laughs> Bob, Bob can't even. I'm, I'm better at Spanish than Bob is. Yeah, and I, I'm Mexican and I can't <laughs> speak Spanish. <laughs> JP. So, yeah, yeah. I've got. And no... JP totally put you to shame oh, with his yeah. rolling R's. It's, it's not even a competition I would yeah. enter. Yeah, it's no good. It's no good. <laughs> By the way, are you going to be out at? at are you gonna, where are you going to be when we're in spring training? Are you going to be around there? Where are you going to be? So, unfortunately, I've, I've chatted a bit with Mike about this. I think that I will be in Miami by the time you arrive to Peoria. So we are going to oh. be like ships passing in the night. But okay. I, will, uh, I will do my best to leave behind a series of restaurant recommendations and, and glad tidings uh, for the Mariners. And I will say this. If I am in Miami, I may well be able to give you daily coverage of Julio. From, mm. from there, from the Dominican camp. And so let me just tell you one thing. There is no team that has more fun during this tournament than the Dominican Republic. There was one time, that last, last time around, they, were play, they kept playing this song by the, by the, uh, the reggaeton uh, artist named Seki Vicini called Kelo K con Kelo K. And I tried to talk about that on the air. <laughs> and, and so the name of the song is Kelo K con Kelo K, which means like, basically like what's up in, in, in like Dominican parlance. And, and the Dominican players heard me talking about it, and I sounded very much like my, my dorky self. And so they, they get out to the batting cage, and they like Jose Reyes and Segura, they're all looking at me saying, hey, Morosi, get okay. And they were, just, they were like literally rolling with laughter at my effort to try to sound like I knew what I was talking about. It was one of both my proudest and most embarrassing moments as a broadcaster. <laughs> I, I think you sound you you like be you, proud of yourself. you know exactly what you're talking about. We even got, before we let you go, we got a, we got a special request. Ask him to say Jose Berrios. Jose Berrios. 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 <laughs> el lanzador de Puerto Rico en el Clásico Mundial de Baseball. You got it. Jose Berrios. You got oh, it right there. Look at that. Tell me he doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me have a word with Gene Segura. We'll get him straightened out there. And Jose Reyes. <laughs> Goodness. John, as always. It, we appreciate it. Have Thanks, fun JP. out there. Not that we need to tell you to have fun because you're having a great time. But uh, we'll, we'll hope that you have a wonderful time, and we'll talk next week. Hey, I, I can't wait, guys. It's my favorite time of year. Appreciate the conversation. And uh, thanks, as always, for the invitation to be on the show. Really appreciate it. There you go. Uh, thanks, John. Thanks, John. John Morosi with us every week. Just say it every time. Love that guy. Uh, his, How do you not love that guy? His mind is amazing. Coming up with those names and everything. I remember when I first started, like it, it was like Sports Northwest. I was on yeah. TV where Root is now, and you know there was a couple players, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And they're like, "You got to do it." I'm like, "All right, Brandon Manu Maliuna, Pisatino Isamoa." Those nice. are like the first, you know, ones because I practice them all yeah. the time, and it was like, okay, now I have to do it. So he just has committed himself He's to the good. pronunciation. He's man. very good. All right, if you missed any of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Coming up, Seahawks GM John Schneider will join us here. We are live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center. That conversation, good stuff in there. It's coming your way next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.